You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile. And now, over to your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is Rusty here, and in unusual circumstances, we have Greg over there in the corner. Hey, Greg. Yeah, how you going, Rusty? Good, mate. Andrew in the middle on that side. How you doing? Yeah, excellent. And a special guest again, uh, Ben Johnson. How are you, Ben? Good, thanks, Rusty. Excellent. So, so we are in a fairly loud environment this time. We're actually at the Impact Dynamics catch-up in, uh, in Adelaide in town. And we've got a whole stack of people uh, sort of ignoring us, hopefully, and uh, drinking some beer and having some food. And it's usually a pretty good, uh, pretty good chat. How are you guys going? Yeah, yeah pretty, good. pretty well. Really good. Yeah. yeah, it's all going well. Very good. Get, yeah. Getting out for a shoot. I know a few of us went off to the, uh, the old Flinders and uh, that podcast will be up next in a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I didn't uh, get to attend that one, but it looked no. like it looked looked fun. Well, you were you were you would have been wonderful. Next time, the next time is going to happen with uh, with Andrew coming along. I've already got a new rifle planned for yep. that trip. So. What do you got planned? I'm looking at a seven mil Rem Mag um, in a Seiko Roughtech range. Is what mm. I'm thinking. Yeah, nice. nice. Something a bit lighter than my heavy 300 wind mag. Yep. But still sort of capable of the thousand meter plus shots. So. Yeah, um, that'd be good. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking at this stage. You've inspired me. I've always liked those rough techs. Yeah. They, I haven't seen a bad review on them. They're, they seem to be getting very good reviews. And yep. A bit lighter. I mean, my, my 300 wind mag comes in at about 17 pounds, so okay. it'll be just, just, considerably just lighter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. Absolutely. Yeah, they've got good stocks on them. Yeah, I've, I've, been, uh, I've been impressed with them. But I'd, I'd like to shoot one. I mean, they'd, they'd probably turn out well, I'm sure, but... You're, you're a Seiko man, aren't you, Ben? I am. I love my Seikos. Yeah, both Seikos and Tikas. Obviously, uh, most of my... I think I've only got two guns that are not. Yeah, right. Out of, out of my um, plethora, I've got everything from an old one, uh, an L579 and twenty two two fifty, which has been rebarreled. And the thing is a laser beam. Absolutely love that gun. Yeah, um, wonderful. Up to my uh, Tika Tactical, which I took on the trip to the Flinders. Yeah, you did. Which is great. You did. That was, uh, that was good. Excellent. Greg, any new, new guns for you, mate, or any, no? No, still trying no. to work out how to get the right barrel? No, I haven't uh, spent too much money on gun gear, um, but... Just been cashing up other things. No, I've been yeah. spending on trips, which is great. <laughs> so that, that's even better. Um, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, bit of a, a long-range shoot a couple of weeks back, and then, obviously, we went away, which we'll talk about in another podcast. Um, yeah. But, yeah, a pure long-range affair, which was, it was wonderful. It was an excellent trip. Brilliant. Well, um, we, so we're in a, in the back of a pub here, and uh, and as you can probably hear in the background, there's lots of people enjoying themselves. This is this sort of thing happens every three months uh, in Adelaide, and a bunch of shooters get together, and we thought we'd uh, sit here and amuse ourselves while they all drank beer. Oh, it probably wasn't the smartest plan, was it? Anyway, we we're here and committed. What we thought we'd do is actually grab a few questions from the crowd, from the the people here. So, uh, Carl's come up and. Uh, Wanted to ask us some questions, so let's uh, let's throw that over to her. How are you tonight? Yeah, good, thanks, Rusty. How are you? Excellent. Wow, that's uh, this sharing one microphone is uh, is kind of awkward. Anyway, I'll pass it over to you next time. So um, n- now you shoot as well. What do you? What have you? Uh, what type of shooting do you enjoy doing? Uh, lately, it's just been a more short distance with a twenty two rifle. 
Yeah, wonderful. Excellent way to, pra- uh, to practice, though. Yeah, brilliant. And I know that you're real keen to start shooting some longer-range stuff. Yeah, excellent. Is your question related to that sort of gear? Uh, no, it's not. I actually had more of a social question. I was interested to know how excited you guys were to see Catherine Skinner, the Aussie, take out Golden Rio for trap shooting. Yeah, that was fantastic. I guess what, what was a bit of a letdown on that one was the lack of media exposure from a number of media outlets. But mm. other than that, it was you know, fantastic to see. I mean, well, a golden shooting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, I mean, I'd love to obviously some long, long distance represented at the Olympics, but that's probably not in the cards anytime soon. But yeah, it was real, real exciting. Um, really good to see. And, um, but it was a real shame to see that Catherine had to sort of, to some degree, justify what she was actually doing, which is, uh, I don't know any other sport uh, at the Olympics where those sort of questions are asked of the person that won the gold medal. Um, so pretty disappointed to see that. And also that shooter in the US who won, was it six medals in six Olympics? Someone yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah. yeah, six Olympics straight yeah. and, and yet virtually zero exposure, which is just... Well, I mean, if it had been swimming or rowing or anything, they would have been all over the media. So That's exactly right. So, so wonderful to hear about it. Slightly disappointed with, uh, with how it all went down. But, I mean, to, to Catherine on a personal level, obviously, congratulations. Because that is uh, um, not that she probably listens to a precision shooting podcast. But anyway, she can probably shoot better than all of us. So, yeah. um, so she's done excellent for what she's doing and... and um, I mean, I've always liked clay shooting. I know Andrew can't hit a thing, but um, I've always enjoyed it. And so I have uh, was very impressed and uh, watched the replays several times to really get a good feel for it. Yeah. Did you enjoyed it? Did you see it live? I uh, didn't see it live. Saw the reruns and was just super excited to see at least a female shooter get so much publicity and uh, bring back a gold to Australia and hopefully promote the sport a bit more within here. I think what was good to see as well is that, you know, a, a female shooter in particular, it sort of breaks that stereotype of, you know, the bogan, just a male-dominated sport. Mm. You know, to see a, a woman come in and dominate, it sort of, it kind of leaves the people that are opposed to the sport a little bit, they can't really attack. Yeah, you know. certainly. And, and uh, Letitia, who I've, I've met a couple of times, she also shot, and she shot really well. She, shot, she came fifth um, as well for... Now, I'm going to get this wrong if I say what she does, so I think it's skeet shooting, but no, I've probably got that wrong. Anyway, sorry, Letitia, I know you shoot shotguns, but, you know, shotguns are all shotguns to me. <laughs> no one no one shoots shotguns properly who's listening to this, I'm sure. Anyway, so that's, that's a different story. Um, but, yeah, it's to see, good to see quite a few Aussies do quite well. Um, I know the, the one guy that I guess we've most of us have a connection to, Will, who... Um, was actually involved in writing some of the original sort of Impact Dynamics courses as well. He uh, he shot a couple of days ago and he didn't do as well, but at least he's there and that was his second mm. Olympics. And uh, yeah, he's done done very well for that sort of side of things and representing shooter community. So it is good to see it represented, absolutely. Yeah, it is fantastic to see the, the sport starting to get some airtime like that. Very good. Thank you very much for your question. Huh? That's brilliant. All right, we're going to draw Bronte over here. Bronte. Throw something at him. I guess a bit of a prelude here to his appearance would be Bronte uh, came a very close second at the PRI only due to a technicality. Well, no, not a technicality, a count back, I guess you yeah. would call it. Equal first. He was equal yeah. first. and he. Uh, but on the deciding stage that the scores then counted, yeah, he... He came he second, but he came first, in my yeah, mind, yeah. in my heart. You yeah. uh, was shooting two four three. you should have come first. <laughs> yeah, that's but That was right. the only downside Great. of it, really. Well, so uh, that's why uh, I let it go through, but um, he, uh, he did very well. So Bronte was, uh, has had some... Anyway, you've been talking to Greg about it. What was... Uh, Greg, do you want to 
Ask Bronte. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off, but I, you know, I mightn't have picked up all the detail. I know, um, you know, Bronte uh, gets out hunting quite a bit, um, uh, chasing deer down the southeast of uh, South Australia, and um, you know, while he was out hunting, he, he and we all know Bronte could shoot, as we just talked about, and. Um, when he uh, did his solution for a particular shot, he got a bit of a surprise. Now, I'll hand over to you, uh, Bronte, on what sort of unfolded and how you how you sort of resolved it in the end. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. Um, yeah, as Greg was saying, it was uh, had a nice, clean shot on a, a deer at about 800 metres. So it's you know it's a considerable range, but it's still something that's uh, achievable if you know you don't. Um, calculated my solution, I arranged it, felt pretty comfortable with it. Um, I instead of dialing because typically when I clicked my dope I dialed hmm. I uh, held over instead so when I fired uh, my solution ended up being out by about 0.4 mil which ended up with a bullet travelling about 2 foot over the back of the deer hmm. so this was a bit of a perplexing thing at the time because uh, you know trying to figure out what went wrong um, I traced it, traced it back through, and one of the one of the things that we looked at was um, I was shooting on inclination, which gave mm. a contributing factor to the solution, but that still didn't really explain the discrepancy that I I had there. So, um, you know, the obvious is, turns to the to the equipment, um, reviewing what what had gone on and um, how it was all sort of operating. So, one of the one of the things I did there was. Um, did a scope tracking test mm-hmm. and um, that had some pretty interesting results. Um, what I found was with my dialed in dope, uh, my scope was actually out by about 0.2 to 0.3 at that equivalent distance. Just a, did you, did you say for that particular shot you held or you dialed? I held. Okay. Mm. So I'd collected my dope dialing and had held for the, for the actual shot itself. Yep. So then that basically created this sort of discrepancy between my dope card and what I actually shot on the day because, you know, when I collected my dope, I dialed and uh, it turned out that my scope had a, had a degree of tracking error in there that essentially created that discrepancy between the um, fired solution and what I had actually achieved with holding over. Yeah, I guess, I mean, feel free to not name the brand of scope, but we, we've had that really evidently on one course with a with a really well-known high-price scope where it was consistently dialing 20% more on target than what you actually dialed on the turrets. And, um, yeah, it, I mean, that was with a $2,000 scope. So it does happen, or can happen. Mm. So, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in this particular case, it wasn't not quite as wealthy as Greg, and I can't quite afford a couple <laughs> of defiance actions yet. But no, uh, Nice one. Yeah. <laughs> get one in there where I can. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it was basically it was actually a Vortex um, PST. So, I mean, up until now, it served pretty well, and it's, a, it's my same make as what I used in the, the PRI. Um, so they're relatively reliable, but it's it still still had that sort of about five yeah. percent error. But I guess it's um, it's worth worth noting that Vortex are very good on their warranty. So, my guess is you you'll have that issue rectified without too much trouble. But I guess it's frustrating nonetheless oh absolutely but no, i guess it goes to the question is to what what sort of acceptable tolerances can you come from you know a scope on a commercial market because as you pointed out you have some quite high-end scopes have some errors yeah i guess talking about like percentage wise i haven't really considered it but i, I would imagine well sort of for my thoughts it's would have to be within one graduation whether that be an moa like a you know, quarter moa or 
or uh, you know point one mil clicks. I, to me, if you're outside of that, like if you dial ten mils and it's actually dialing ten point two, or any more than sort of ten point one, or you know any less than nine point nine, it's it's to me you you're outside that sort of level of accepted sort of variance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because you look at if you're trying to shoot a target that might be, you know, at whatever range, you might be only talking in one or two tenths of a mil sized target. If you're any more than that, it's not going to be, you know, acceptable really. So. Yeah, and I guess, I guess it's probably also worth mentioning that if, if you don't have the opportunity to return a scope under warranty like, like Bronte does, you know, as long as you know that tracking area, you can put that adjustment into your ballistic calculator. Um, and, and just factor it into your ballistic solutions through your calculator. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind for those guys whose warranties are expired and they uh, find they've got a tracking error. I guess the trouble is a lot of guys don't actually ever run a, you know, a significant tracking test on their scope. So they might shoot it at 100 metres and, and get it zeroed and it's really shooting well. But when you start to stretch out you know, seven, 800 metres plus, if you haven't actually verified that it tracks true to the click value. Mm. Well, as you found out, you can have those issues. So, yeah, absolutely. No, dead right there, boys. Dead right. All right. Well, I think time to hand back to Rusty. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers, Bronny. It's, Thanks, it's mate. A, certainly, I, there was a, a question. So, well, not really a question, but more of a an experience that I think was pretty was interesting for me anyway. Yeah. And because that that's real world examples of things that we've seen a couple of times on courses, um, yep. where people are having issues and they can't explain it, and then you actually check on target and there's an issue there so I have to admit I didn't hear a single word of what we've spoken about I've found out that if you're not wearing earmuffs you're not involved in this conversation so um, <laughs> anyway that was my absence um, probably good because uh, don't really talk much sense anyway so um, uh, speaking of sense uh, Ashley is here and Ashley's going to ask us a question um, uh, a little bit sort of to the left of centre of perhaps precision long range sort of stuff but I know that this might be up Ben's alley so Ashley how are you mate? Yeah, good, thanks, good. Wonderful. Now, you were going to speak to, or you had a question for us. Chuck a man. I reckon Ben's probably got some good answers for you. Uh, with all the attachments out there and um, coming across the 7615 um, quite regularly, is it a point where um, there's too many attachments? So is there something where you really do need attachments or it's, you know, really requirements to, you know, just customise it because you can or just over the top? That's really my question. It's so many choices now. Uh, really, what do you think? Yeah, well, there's... Look, we get a... I do a lot of um, aftermarket upgrades of rifles anyway, so a lot of the guys that I've been... Um, you've, you'll see on Facebook on the Armoury page, there's there's been some upgrades where we're doing MDT chassis on Remington 700s and Tikas and stuff like that. And basically what um, people are moving that way because they want to have accessories accessible on their firearms. Now, I've got an MDT TAC-21 on my 308, and I love having TAC rails all the way around because I can either shove my torch on one side uh, on the Picatinny that's on the side so I can see out to 650 meters with a little torch, or I can put a laser on the other side if I'm doing close-range stuff. Um, or I can put my bipod on there. You can also do night vision attachments, and there's, there's it just what it is is allowing a chassis system to have the ability, not the restriction. Okay, so 
Uh, it's not necessarily do you need to have all that stuff on at once. Um, and, Andrew, you'd, you'd be a test to this, too, that uh, even in the military, when you start putting so many accessories on your rifle, one, they become bulky and very, very difficult to handle um, and really heavy because you've got battery packs on there. You've got all kinds of plethora of, of, of different things that you're trying to put on the actual rifle, which is not necessarily a bad thing if you are uh, a set-up sniper. But if you are trudging across the flinders like we were, mm. uh, even in my uh, sniper bag, I had two rifles in there, and it's freaking heavy, man. Like, really, mm. really heavy having that much stuff in there. But the, the whole point of the accessory side of things, I think... There, there can be an element of bling going on with that, and a lot of these guys go that way because they want it to look a certain way. Um, and we see sort of the, uh, the, from the government's perspective, they think that uh, bolt action that looks tactical actually will make it more dangerous, but is not really the case because it's usually the person behind the, the rifle. I mean, you can do it with an ugly whatever, uh, not necessarily something that's tactical looking. Uh, but it does allow you to have a lot more functionality, and that's that's why I like having it with my stuff. So, yeah, that yeah, that's um, yeah, makes sense. And yeah, it's just a bit of a question because it's coming out a lot more now, and yeah. everybody likes accessorizing with their stuff, and plus it becomes more of an individual thing yeah. too. You know, you, you're not walking out there and we all pull our Seikos out and they all look exactly the same. It's like one looks totally different and. Yeah, you know, yeah. we all had Tikas out on our trip, uh, besides the BSA. Yep. Not and, all of us. And, and besides some other things. <laughs> um, but basically, you, you put them next to each other, and they look nothing alike. Yeah. Absolutely nothing alike. I mean, and, and, and Greg likes to accessorize with the incorrect barrel twist. I mean, yeah, well, you, you can know. do whatever you like. I like to stand out in the crowd, and that's how I do these <laughs> things, you know. Um, but um, also, too, you know, you can change task. So, you know, if you're out on a night shoot spotlighting there might be particular accessories you might want to put on if you're doing set shots from a set position you might want to change over to a different bipod um, you might want to change to other accessories so you could tie in with the actual task that you're performing with your rifle so that's that's the other option too that's the what attracts me anyway just i guess in in relation to you mentioned 76 15s um they're probably the big one for like like ben said the bling kind of accessories now I built a 7615 up uh, in in 30 223, so just the, th- the 223 to open straight up to 30 cal, sort of like an extended 300 blackout. And I built it, you know, specifically for shooting pigs. And I I went down the line of keeping it sort of minimal, like I didn't put any four end rails or anything like that on it, um, because it was for a you know, specific purpose in a vehicle where you've got to be moving quickly out of the vehicle. And I've seen seen some that have got rails hanging off from everywhere they've got four end grips on them they've got adjustable stocks they've got this that you know they've got you know doublers on their magnification for the scopes and i think if you stop and think what do you actually want to do with the rifle Mm. um if you want to have it something set up where you can have a night vision scope you take on and off and you have a laser like ben mentioned a torch these things by all means accessorize away but you've got to sort of my sort of thoughts are you, you plan what you want to do with it and if you're going to be on foot shooting pigs or goats or whatever during the day and you've got a specific kind of shooting, to me, a lot of that stuff can be superfluous, really. Yeah. But by all means, if you want to do it, I'd, I'd never it discourage good. anyone. Yeah. Mm. If you want to build a rifle that you want a certain look, 
knock yourself out. Like it's there's there's a few things that will be detrimental to sort of the, the the handling of it. Like if you make it too heavy, it can not handle as well. But as far as the look, I mean, go for it. Well, see, we even found too um, with with doing varmint hunting and, and shooting from like uh, they're saying the task Pacific, going between either day shoot and night shoot. Uh, especially like with my the TAC-21 that I've got, it's got a uh, collapsible stock on it. So when we're out in the field, the stock comes out full length. We can actually lay down, do prone shooting, do nice long-range shots over 1,000 meters. Whereas when we're in a car at night, you want that stock as short as possible so that you're in there. And like Andrew said, if you're shooting out of a vehicle, it's a purpose-built thing. So mine sort of is able to accessorize between the different roles that i wanted it to play so and that just takes a bit of forethought on what you're on what you're planning to do there's plenty of things to accessorize them with that's for sure yeah no worries thanks for that no worries man so um rusty i just in in the conversation that's just happened i've been handed a a rangefinder by alex i was, I was gonna here. ask you about that do we need to get alex on is that is it I, I think yeah i mean yeah, okay. just just quickly explain what it is yeah. um i might run out with it yeah, I may have stuffed it down my pants before yeah. we leave. It's a pretty nice rangefinder, but we'll yeah, talk about a, it shortly. Yeah, yeah what, no. what rangefinder? Yeah, I know yeah. exactly. No, I didn't see one. <laughs> yeah, very. No, good. I mean, just just sort of this is uh, you know something that's very interesting to me, given I've done a fair bit of research on the rangefinder. So a- absolutely. Um. Uh, so right next to me is Alex. Alex. Alex has made his way to the front. And uh, how are you, mate? I'm all right. Bring your arm. <laughs> he's, too, he's too busy so taking selfies. Selfies. selfies with us than, than he is to talk. <laughs> That's right, I'm not on there. I'm not on that one. Uh, yeah, make sure you get Ben in it. No, no, right. yeah, yeah. Make sure Jensen, Jensen. Jensen. It's just the accent. All right, so Alex, now that you've finished taking selfies, how's it going, man? Yeah, I've been really busy today, so it's, it's really good catching up with everybody and meeting everybody again, and yeah. Awesome. So, um, Andrew said we've got we to gotta bring you over because you just dropped off some sort of package for him, all right? Oh, what's going on there? With one of the older podcasts, I've heard that Andrew hasn't seen the G7. So Yeah, so um, well, just to explain a little more, it's the G7 uh, Gunworks over in the States. They do a rangefinder now. It's certainly reported to be a fairly, well, not fairly, a very good rangefinder, um, sort of one step short of stepping up to the, the Vectronics level. Uh, certainly a lot cheaper. Um, a friend of mine in the US has one, loves it, but this is the first time I've had a chance to see one. So basically, how long have you had it, Alex, and, and what have you done with it? Like, What's your thoughts on it? Um, I've had it for about six months, I reckon, if that. Uh, the only reason I got it because I can't get the Vextronics in Australia uh, due to American or US import law, uh, export laws. So that's the next step down or the what next best I can get. Yeah, have you ever had a chance to use it in the field a lot at all? Or what's your, what's your thoughts, what's your impressions on, you know, what are you able to range, what kind of distances are you ranging animals and that sort of thing on? Um, I've been able to range 2.5K or 2.2Ks with trees. Mm, nice. Down at Kai Kai there. Um, but nothing really with animals yet. But apparently uh, by pointing, say, at a deer at 1,200 metres at a different angle, it should calculate a drop solution to your bc and velocity yeah I, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives over in idaho and, and he's got one the very same and uh i think he said 
you know, they were ranging out past 2,000 yards, no problem. Um, the issue they were having is the, the ballistic solution will only give you a solution to 1,400 yards. Now, that's a long way for, for hunting. So having said that, you can still utilise you know, a, a PDA or your phone with applied ballistics and shoot out to as far as it will range. So, I mean, it, uh, it certainly seems like a very, very handy piece of kit. Yeah, and I guess, Alex, this is a question for me. How, how have your solutions turned out, like, in, in some of your, you know, shooting long range? Have they been pretty good? Have you been pretty pretty happy? Yeah, I've been really happy, uh, mainly using the applied ballistics program on my phone and tablet. Um, I haven't really put the two, you know, the, the G7 and the applied ballistics side by side to see the drop. Yeah, okay. So I can't really explain or, you know, tell. Yeah, I mean... From the sort of reports I was hearing from you know, my friend over in the US, he, he said it was at 1,400 yards, it was spot on. Like the solution that the rangefinder gave was was dead on. You know, it, was, it was accurate enough to hit a coyote. So, Yeah, uh, yeah with, the, with the videos I've seen and all that, with the reviews I've seen, yeah, it seems you know, pretty, pretty good, uh, especially with different angles. It will, will compensate the different angles, temperature, humidity and all that into the calculations the only thing it doesn't um compensate is wind well i mean that's yeah. that's one of those things that i mean that was one i was going to ask invent that that's going to be on the cards right yeah. we're going to invent one that does it all well, well there coming. is one on the way it's yeah. coming yeah, but yeah. while we wait for the laser wind reading i mean it was the next question i was going to ask does it have bluetooth capability or uh, not nothing that i'm aware of just yet i wish I wish it does, and the downside, it's only stuck with yards. You can't convert it between, or have it an option between metres or yards. Oh, okay. okay. Yep. I mean, that's, that's a minor issue, really. I mean, mm. you just, I mean, yeah, you can, you, you can work your way around that. So. Yeah, yeah. When you're shooting yards, it makes you sound better anyway. It's further along. Yeah, it does sound That's what better. we forgot to do with all our records, uh, Greg, was to change them to yards. Uh, I always forget uh, that. Change the no. yards. Could have made a grand. Yeah. Or maybe Ben Ben would be more familiar with yards. Uh. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure they're on the metric system in Canada. Yeah, Canada's uh, definitely metric. <laughs> no, well, thanks for uh, for coming up. That was uh, well. We said first time I've had a chance to have a look at one of these rangefinders in the flesh. So. Um, yeah. Good on Alex. Yeah, it'd be interesting to actually go and see it in the field. So. Yeah. Sweet man. Sweet. And you're not getting it back. <laughs> that's it. What rangefinder? Yeah, we'll delete that part of the podcast, and there'll it. be no evidence. Yeah. <laughs> So Ben, thanks for joining us on this episode, and um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna um, get Dan in the hot seat in a moment. But we, we this will be your your second, but then there's another episode you're in. Um, wh- how what have you done in your shooting life? What's brought you to this point? Wh- tell us a bit more about yourself. Okay, well I've been I've been shooting since I was about four years old uh, back in the states, not Canada, uh, even though it sounds very similar. Um, and they do work in yards there, just uh, just to clarify. In but, Canada. No, in Minnesota, where I'm originally from. Um, I've been in Australia for 30 years now, so I was through all of the buyback and and all of the big gun changes within Australia, um, and just to see everything change over the years. Uh, my passion for shooting and um, has always been there. I just never had the opportunity to go a little bit further along with it. Sure. Um, until I uh, we'd moved over to I'm a carpenter by trade, builder by profession, and moved over to Port Lincoln to do some work over there. And, and I met a guy there who was just mad keen, 
Yep. And I started shooting some of his stuff with him and fell in love all over again. So nice. uh, it really, really pushed uh, me to then start going, okay, I need to pursue this and, and push this along a little bit further. Yep. So started doing that. Um, I'm blessed also with property with where I live. So yeah, I've got my own 200 meter, well, 1,000 meter range. Um, where we can do siding in and, and all kinds of stuff. So mm. the topography is really cool as well because it's a bit hilly, so it gives you a bit of challenge with wind calls and, and all that sort of thing. So it makes it for a good time. And then um, over the years, I'd been starting to get rifles, accessorize them, build them up, and then on-sell them to friends. And yep. so that just kept going through more and more and more and until uh, recently last couple of years i thought man i should just become a a dealer right so uh hence the reason here i am now i've got a a gun shop up the north side of adelaide um that and what is it tell us it's a it's at a pistol tell us the name of it oh it's the armory yeah the armory is what it's called and uh basically it's a uh it's just a tiny little shop where i can uh, work out of uh, usually only on the weekends at this stage because I'm obviously still trying to pay for everything. So uh, work normally <laughs> during the week. Sure that's life, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Except for Greg. I'll, yeah. Yeah. For Greg. I'll yeah. give you a loan, Ben. Yeah, sometime. please, please. I'd love, love <laughs> Just that. Just give him a donation. Uh, anybody who wants to donate online, go for it. Um, so I'm doing that as well as um, as building still, and just really enjoying going from. You know, learning from a whole bunch of different guys on on where shooting is and where it's come from and and where it's going. All the um, the development of uh, of new rifles and and new systems and all that sort of thing have just been really, really. I've discovered a new one the other day, um, like no, seriously, four days ago. That I'm now going, oh crap! I can just see a whole bunch of more money disappearing because it looks really cool. Um, Must know, have. Um, Kdex Defense. Have you guys heard oh, of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They are just oh, look really cool. Um, Greg's got four. Yeah, okay. He's never heard of them, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's never got heard a few of them. Yeah, so, yeah, they must be on my visa somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right somewhere. Yeah, I think it, yeah um, I've seen that on the account. So you know, it's it's been a, a years of experience of, of learning and, and just listening to a whole bunch of guys do what they do. My brother was in the uh, was in the special forces and uh, as a marine, U.S. marine. He was in Desert Storm and stuff. So I've always had military background in my family and, um, you know, love that part of it as well because, um, you know, tactics and and tactical side of what's happening, you know, getting away from the standard gun shops and actually going down the tactical line is kind of where I'm I'm focused and heading. So Awesome, man. Well, thanks heaps for your input tonight. And for the previous episodes and the one to come. Love so. being here, man. Oh, so yeah. good. I just, just love important. being with these guys. Just a quick so one. Where, where can people hook up with you, Ben, with the Armoury? You're on Facebook? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Uh, the Armoury 300 uh, is what it is. Um, and then the website is thearmoury300.com. Okay, so it's not AU. It's just .com because I, could, I couldn't, couldn't afford the AU, apparently. Good. <laughs> Isn't CM Canada or? Uh, no, it's not Canada. No, yeah. it was going to be some Asian no, country, you, but anyway, it was going to be Canada, but you can't work out meters. I can't. Yeah, it's way. Very good. All right, excellent, guys. We're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll get Dan in here, and uh, then we got Dale coming and asking questions.
So we're back and uh, we've changed uh, changed positions on the hot seat. Dan, welcome aboard, mate. Hello. And uh, Dan hasn't appeared on a podcast in uh, in actual order, in release order, but he has on the uh, the Flinders podcast. So you're up there uh, with us last weekend, mate. Enjoy I, it. I was. It was bloody good. Yeah, it was good fun. Good fun having you along. And um, tell us uh, a little bit about your shooting background and history and that sort of year. Oh, you put me on the spot now. Certainly have, mate. <laughs> Certainly have. Uh, lots of fox shooting, mate. Lots of... Um out, out in the flats on the farms, taking care of the foxes for the farmers. Um, go back earlier than that, all the way to when I was a kid, lots of 22 work. Yep. And yeah, worked my way up to the 250s and 243s and then met you guys and started pushing further and further onto the 308 and yeah. I'm where I am now. Yeah, absolutely. Good fun. Yep. Pulling off shots at 1,200 metres on goats. Yeah, almost 1,200. Just shy. Maybe three metres shy. Yeah, <laughs> with a 308 is not uh, not bad. That's a qualifier. But in yards, it was like way over. Oh, yeah, I, d- yeah, I, d- yeah, I, did, I did calibrate to yards just to see, and it was I impressed myself. <laughs> <laughs> Got to love yards. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're impressed, Dan. So um, uh, young Dale over here is uh, going to make his way up to the front and have a question for us. How are you tonight, Dale? Uh, not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good, mate. And you've got some uh, some questions to throw to the lads. Uh, tell us a little bit about your shooting and what you're enjoying doing, because I know it's somewhat new for you, isn't it? Um, well, um, I own a 308 myself and a 22 just for plinking. Um, but most of the stuff I do is uh, hunting and getting rid of lots of uh, goats and uh, rabbits and that sort of show. Um, but I'm really trying to branch out into long-range shooting. Uh, would really love to go long-range hunting. That's probably one of my main goals. But um, my main question is, is that I've been on the internet quite a lot trying to find out what caliber to use, what what's a good starting caliber. Like, you know, there's 6.5 Krieg, there's 243, 300 Win, all these different ones, and each one has their own fanboy almost, like their own yeah. fan crowd. Yeah, the internet and crowd. it's really hard to differentiate which one in particular is a good starting caliber. Mm-hmm. I guess um, I'd probably start by saying you already got it. Um, 308. I mean, it, it depends on what sort of format the rifle is. I mean, if it's a lightweight gun or, or a heavier gun, but but the caliber itself, I, I think I could probably speak for, for all of us here, we all still use them. I mean, they're a fantastic long-range caliber. Um, it, you know, it's got its limitations, of course, but, you know, as so Dan took a goat at... What's the range again, Dan? Uh, 1194 1194 metres with a 308 and you know it's certainly got the energy to kill well at that range so yeah I think you've probably got probably got a good calibre to start with what what sort of rifle is it? Um, it's nothing too fancy it's just a uh, Remington 783 uh, bolt action I got a uh, muzzle brake um, made by uh, Nick from Ignition Customs um, and uh, yeah, that's it's it's just a basic hunting rifle. I haven't really put too much into it. Yeah, I guess I well, sort of from my perspective, I'm not sure about you other guys. Probably similar, but probably the limiting factor will be your scope. Um, if you've got a rifle that's that's capable of you know sort of shooting an inch group or less at 100 meters, it's going to turn it into a fairly effective long range performer. But if you've got a a cheap scope on it. That lacks the elevation, lacks the adjustments, um, and doesn't actually adjust true to what you adjust on it. You know, it's sort of it's off in that regard. You struggle. Um, so I guess Dan, you've sort of started from you know not 
having going to the top, but you've worked your way up. So what would, what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, well, what I was thinking with the rifle that you've got, I mean, you've got a good starting point. Um, you could put good optics on it and and get good with the rifle and start stretching it out. But being a budget rifle, you'll eventually get to the point where you'll, you'll see a weak spot in your rifle. You might need a better mount or need to get something bettered or, you know, and long term you'll end up just putting more and more and more and more money into it only because you're getting a better becoming a better shooter with it and you're wanting more performance um so rather probably be a better option long long term to buy a a good quality rifle if you want to go long range um but i've done that i've i've got a cheap rifle which i've slowly poured money into over the years and it's a good rifle it shoots a long way um it's just what way you want to go. You're at the starting point now where you can choose, you know, you don't, you don't have to go down the road of pouring a lot of money into a cheaper rifle. But, yeah, that's where you're at. I guess just what's probably worth noting quickly is often guys will spend two, three grand on a rifle and yet they'll go and put a four or $500 scope on it. You're mm. really, really hamstringing yourself. My thoughts are you want to be at least prepared to spend as much or more on the scope as you would on the gun yeah. um, because scopes are one of those things you could have a rifle that's capable of a, of a half inch group at 100 metres but if you put a cheap scope on it particularly if you start winding up elevation and rather than just you know, aiming at it and shooting you actually start mechanically adjusting the scope, if you don't have a scope that's built to the required standards you, you get massive variations so much so that you'll be missing and you, you'll be wondering what's going on. Like, I missed that goat at 600 metres. I felt good. You know, I had all my information was good. I, why did I miss it? It could be nothing more than a, the scope fault, which is what uh, Bronte, who came on earlier, he had that very same issue. And it wasn't until he actually checked the scope that he found that was where the issue lay. So for me, if you, once you get serious about long-range shooting, you don't have to spend three or four grand on a scope. But if you're spending, I would say, anything short of maybe twelve or $1,300, you're really not going to get a scope that will do what you want it to do. Yeah. A, so scope, that, a scope can make or break it. With the rifle you got, I mean, you could do great things with it. You can do great. You can make ammo, ammo shoot through any barrel accurately, you know. But if you, your scope is faulty in some way or, or, you know, not up to the tasks, you're wasting, you know, you're making expensive noise. Yeah, like often with a, with scope issues, you get point of impact shift. So you might be shooting a group, you'll get two that are right on each other, and you'll get one that's way off, and then it's sort of what was that? You know, and it could be nothing wrong with your with your technique or with the rifle itself. It'd be purely scope issue. You know, there's something internally moving in the scope. So I guess you know what I would suggest would probably be shoot your gun that you've got. Don't get rid of it, but get good with it. Get your, your technique is critical. You know, you just get down behind the gun as much as you can and, and shoot it as much as you can. Absolutely. Because you could, you could go and buy a five or $6,000 rifle tomorrow and if you're not practised at shooting, you're not going to be shooting it well. So I would suggest shoot what you've got until you find yourself out shooting your equipment and That's then move on. Good point, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll just add on, on, a, on a side note, like looking away from the rifle, you talked about hunting in the field and... Um, one thing you probably need to consider is, is as you start to reach out, you need a good range finder. Um, that, that will just stop you in your tracks. If you can't range it, you, you really, you, you, you're going to struggle to hit it. Because the further out you get, the more critical range becomes. 
Um, uh, the other one is if you haven't got into using a ballistic calculator, um, you might want to start looking at it because uh, that will help you understand external ballistics and help you understand the sort of adjustments you need to be making and whether you, you know, your scope and your load is capable of certain things because you can illustrate it on a screen and you can run through the different scenarios, practice with your wind. It's just a really good aid to help your skills in terms of judging what your rifle can do. Um, so, yeah, just put some thought into that. I know with me, when I, you know, I haven't been into long-range shooting that all that long, you know, a number of years, but not that long really in my whole shooting career. And the first thing I quickly exceeded was my rangefinder. I could not, I, I was quickly shooting further than my rangefinder could range. So I was relying on other people to range for me. But that's cool. You can get out on the range. If you know the range to different plates out on a, on a range, you can still get out there and do it um, and practice. Uh, that, that doesn't stop you. Shooting plates is great practice for hunting. Um, but, yeah, you've got to think about those things as well, which is, you know, obviously a bit more cash and, you know, never seems to end. But, uh, yeah, you've got to have the whole package. And when the package comes together and it's like the last weekend where the five of us went into the Flinders long-range shooting, and you'll hear more about that in the podcasts, you know, it all sort of comes together and, and yeah, it all happens. Yeah. So you would say equipment is the most important part, not just the rifle itself? Or the caliber it is. I wouldn't say necessarily it's the most important part. The most important part is you practicing. And I think, you know, I said I, I wouldn't recommend somebody who's in your situation go out tomorrow and spend ten grand on a setup. I would say spend your money on ammo and shoot it. Um, what I would suggest would be check it. You know, if you can get it a hundred meter range and actually check your scope, to make sure your scope hasn't got any inherent issues with it. Once you've established that. I remember when I first started out, there wasn't rangefinders weren't that commonly available, so you had to kind of pace it out in the field and just shoot. And I didn't know what velocities I was running. I didn't have ballistic calculators, so I just had to record everything. You know, okay, at 400 paces, it's this this low on the target. At 500, yeah. it's this low, and so on and so on. So, yeah. but you, it's you know that's made easier these days by technology, but nothing beats practice. Yeah. That's just simple as that. Start stepping out and just see where the limitations of your, you know, your whole gear and ability and and and, and it's where that sits and how you can improve it to take the next step out. I would I would say practice makes perfect in anything, but um, also that doesn't mean go out and just blow ammo and blow ammo and blow ammo. A little bit of knowledge along the way. Um, so you're making the most of the ammo that you're shooting. You learn, you know, learn a bit, shoot a bit, learn a bit, and you'll go further rather than just burning barrels out. Yeah, actually, a good one you told me then a couple of years ago just came to mind. It's like shoot each round as though it's worth twenty bucks. Absolutely, yeah, spot on. Yeah, and that that yeah, and aim small, aim small and miss small, and just work with those two, and and um, you know it'll all start to sort of come together. Yep, yep. It's easy. You, when I remember when when you're starting out. You'll fire a round off and it doesn't go where you want. And so you fire another one and it still doesn't go. And you think, oh, maybe it was this. So you fire another one. Before you know it, you're frustrated and you've spent, you know, 50 rounds downrange and learnt nothing, you know. So that little bit of knowledge along the way from the right people saves you a lot of ammo, you know. Yeah, and, and I'll also add to <laughs> more money to spend. Um, <laughs> getting a good book too, you know. It sounds like you're fairly new to the long-range game. Um, and you're getting sort of some misinformation from the internet, that's a pretty common problem. No. Um, <laughs> internet lies. Just every single forum that exists almost. But, um, look, there are some good ones out there if you know which ones there are. But, 
maybe get a good book like um, we talk a lot about you know Brian Litz's books are a really good start to understand the fundamentals and it's not written in a complex way either it's um, written in a way that's pretty easy to understand and then that way you understand the theory and you're not getting misinformation from the internet and it's a good basis for your understanding to start you know reaching out and understanding what's what's affecting your bullet flight and all that sort of stuff yeah a little bit of knowledge yeah all right, thank you very much. Cheers, no mate. No problem. Thanks, Heath, for that, Dale. Um, I have no idea what you guys just uh, spoke about, but I, I hope you recommended the I'm free I'm pretty lap. sure he's really confused now. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a loan. <laughs> Greg? Greg? You're giving Dale a loan, I'm guessing? Not Don- interest Donation. Benevolent fund. <laughs> good, good. Hopefully you recommended the 3 3 lap your magnum. I'm hoping that was the deal. So, Didn't you say 416 something or other? Yeah, 416 Barrett. Barrett. Yeah, yeah shoot good. rabbits at 50 yards. Good beginner's yeah. round. Available in lots of gun shops. Yeah, sure. Surely <laughs> you won't get a flinch out of that. <laughs> no, why not? Absolutely. Very good. All right, we're going to grab a Stewie over here. Stewie. 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 <laughs> Come here, little fella. <laughs> Stewie. Stew. Some of you guys may know, Stewie's been on a whole stack of the... Um, uh, Southern Shooters videos, and he's made his way in here uh, tonight. Uh, Stu, how's it going, mate? Come come around here to the microphone. How's it going? Good in yourself, gents. Very good, mate. Very well. Very good well. Day, mate. Wonderful. Enjoying your night, mate? Uh, it's been good. A few beers and uh, good food and good company. Talking about guns can't get any better than that. No, absolutely, mate. Now, I, don't know, I know you don't have a specific question for us, unless, unless you've thought of something. Um, I've been uh, chatting with Dan about what... Um, what Ruger Precision I was going to look at buying um, or what calibre to do. Again, I probably wanted one gun to do too many things, but we were chatting, chatting with her to go, I like the 6.5 or, and I mm-hmm. want to do a bit of varminting and a bit of long range to try and push myself out to 1,000 metres and see what was happening. So that was what we were chatting about. Well, you got my answer, Stu, so we'll see what the other fellas say and see if they match up. I'm mm. pretty sure they won't. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, are you talking about the, the original version or the enhanced version no the enhanced one i think for the bit extra money you would be a bit silly not to there's no six mil option in that yeah see to my way of thinking in the original version the 243 would have probably i think probably taken the cake i think i think dan's very happy with you right now well i mean you look at i don't just say that lightly it's they actually went they thought it through obviously and they went with a with a fast twist barrel i think it had a one in seven twist barrel um which enables you to use the heaviest bullets in that calibre, which yeah. turns... I mean, you run the ballistics, you run on, a say, a 105 Burger in a 243, it smokes a 308. And, uh, I, th- I think they they close to match a 300, don't they? Out to sort of about the 800 mark, at least. Yeah, trajectory-wise. Yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously not energy-wise. But. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, versatility-wise, you know, you could load down to... Well, you know, like Dan, you fairly extensive experience. Yeah, you'd load the 55s and 58s and explode rabbits at two, three, four hundred meters, or you can step up to the heavy stuff and and shoot. Well, as far as you want, really. Mm. Yeah. Well, my my answer, part of my answer to Stu was, if you're trying to build a gun that's going to cover absolutely everything, you're going to substitute something, some part of it, you know. And if he wants a, a gun like a PRI gun for steel and, and hunting as well, then I figured the 243 with the 105s would be a good PRI. Yeah. Yeah. And you can load your 87 and go hunting goats. And mm. Yeah, and I guess, um, you know, as you said, you, you were going with the enhanced version, so they dropped the 243 in that line, which is surprising. But 
in absence of the two four three, I would say the the six point five Creedmoor mm. would be the one to go for. Um, as much as I love three oh eight, it's it's not as versatile, I guess, as the six point five Creedmoor. Yeah. What about with Varmington? Because like like Dan was saying, I'm probably trying to get too many things in one in one gun. I'm trying to sneak one in, one more in before things change my life at the minute. So I try <laughs> to get one more in the door, but. Um, um, probably want something to vomit, you know, from 100 to three, 400 metres and then do some PRI stuff as well. So, Yeah, see, I, th- I think in, if you've if you settled on the enhanced version of the precision rifle, I, I would suggest the 6.5 Creed does or can fill those roles. In that, you know, you could load, I'm not sure of the exact weights, but I think you know, it might be a 90 or a 95 gram ballistic tip or something like that. And I know, you know, most manufacturers do lighter weight 6.5 projectiles that you know will explode rabbits and foxes. They're not ballistic, like their ballistic coefficients are not great, so they're not going to be suitable for those long, really long shots. But if you want to have a rifle, you go, okay, there's a rabbit warren at 400, and there's one at 300, and one at 280, and you want to sit there and, and do that, absolutely. Yeah. But yet, if you want to, say, go in a PRI type comp, you can load a 140 or 142 grain. VLD type bullet for the long range shooting and even long range hunting. I mean, Berger now make a, a big range of 6.5 projectiles yeah, I specifically think that, for hunting. And that's yeah. going to get bigger and bigger, I think, too, over like because it's became, becoming very popular. So oh, it's, it's yeah. hugely popular. I mean, there's uh, you know, guys in the US are hunting elk at you know, 900 yards plus with 6.5 284s, which are a little bit more velocity but same projectile so that kind of gives you an indication of the yeah, right. capability of a projectile that size mm. so i think the 6.5 is probably a, for what you want to do is probably about ideal really yeah and you, you can crank those really light bullets get them up fast yeah and be explosive and yet you can with the same gun all you got to change is your load and you're, you're effective at a thousand meters plus on on targets mm. yeah, so. yeah and i know when we did that that ballistic analysis uh, Andrew, right early in the podcast series, and we looked at primarily six mil and six and a half mil, and um, basically six and six and a half had similar ballistic profiles, except for energy, energy on target. So if you want more energy at distance, definitely lean towards a six and a half. Yeah. Um, so you know if you're going to do long range hunting and terminal performance is more important to you. Definitely, yeah. I'd probably lean towards six and a half if you're just shooting plates where terminal performance is not really important. Well, then the six is great because it's lower recoil. You know, follow up shots. Yeah. You know all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, definitely if you're going to look at long range hunting, I'd probably lean towards a six and a half as well. Yeah, no, after seeing your boys up in the Flinders, that was uh, one of the other factors as well, so yeah. Yeah, no, a few, a few guys will get hungry when they see a bit more footage come out. Yeah, so. no, that, was, that, was, that looked pretty bloody good, so. Yeah, I'll just uh, hand it back to Rusty. I, I'm, I can't wait to actually listen to this podcast, because I don't know what's on it. <laughs> this is good. So, uh, next question is going to, or statement or whatever it is, is coming in from Nick. Nick, uh, from Ignition Custom, how you going, mate? Oh, not too bad, I'm surviving pretty well. How's everyone else doing? Yeah, we're all pretty good. We've had a couple of drinks and talking about guns. It's a pretty terrible night, really. Um, so you were going to say something. What's happening? Um, yeah, I've got a lot of customers who come to me every so often. Um, I remember you guys were talking about scopes the other week, but another thing which I think is overlooked is triggers. A lot of guys are asking um, about the width of the trigger. Obviously, you've got, say, like the jewel, which is quite narrow. 
um, and a lot of guys are asking about trigger shoes and putting them on, um, as well as bolt knobs that people are asking about because it's the thing you actually use to drive the firearm, unlock, reload, as well as um, actually manipulate the trigger. So I just want to know what other guys' takes are and what they think the, the industry might be heading and how they're going to handle it. I, in regards to triggers, I, personally I don't think the width of the trigger blade is too much more than personal choice. Um, you know, I, I've used jewels extensively and I've used multiple other brands with wider blades and to me it's more how the trigger works is the critical factor. You know, I think the width of the trigger blade is a personal thing and where you sit the blade in your finger when you actually you know, shoot. So I don't think necessarily the I mean the, the sort of wide really really wide trigger blades is to me it's an old concept um, an older concept you know you'd see the the old Kanjar trigger shoes that people would fit to you know fox shooting rifles in the 70s and 80s I'm not really sure why that was done um, because you look at now in serious competition whether it be Bentrest or you know F-Class or you know the, the PRS type shoots there's a mix it's not there's no sort of one type that's shot extensively personally I prefer you know not excessively wide but not the really narrow I mean I like dual but that's mainly because of this. they feel so good when you use them um, I'd prefer if they were a couple of mil wider but they've got their reasons I guess but um, I don't know what about the rest of you guys oh, I, I totally agree man I think it's just a personal preference as far as I'm concerned yeah, I know for me, I haven't had much experience with many different triggers. I've just got a, a basics trigger, uh, which, you know, obviously uh, going to a lighter trigger definitely improved my groups quite considerably. But just on another note, you know, reading, um, there was a good PRS article on the uh, Precision Shooting blog, um, which talked about triggers used in the PRS. And there is actually quite a wide range of triggers used by the, the top, uh, I think, 100 competitors in the PRS. Yeah, I'd, I'd take any one of those, to be honest. Um, they all look like pretty good triggers, I guess, you know, as the guys talked about have got more experience than me, you know, it comes down to personal preference and what you like the yeah, best. That, that trigger you got, Greg, it's a wider one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a wider yeah, one. See, yeah. when I shot your gun the other day, I'm just at the ticker trigger, and it was a wider one and completely different to what I got, but I was just like, well, this feels different, feels good. Yeah. Well, I didn't really have a problem. It it's was more good. about the, the, the crisp break, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, it was a, a really nice trigger. Yeah. I guess in, in regards to uh, bolt knobs, as you mentioned, that, again, is probably personal choice. But I, mean, I guess if you take, for example, I mean, you fit a lot of them, but guns like a Remington 700, for example, in a standard configuration, if you're trying to shoot quickly, there's not really a lot to grab hold of and, and sort of you've got this little tiny knob if you fit it with an extended bolt knob it's a lot quicker you can just you know quickly whack it with your hand and, and up it comes you don't have to kind of grasp this little tiny thing yeah, a lot of guys have actually said they sweep their hand up rather than actually physically grab the knob they almost rotate their wrist up to, to knock the bolt up that's why they want a slightly larger knob well so well that's get under yeah, it's it pretty flush to the stock isn't it as well yeah, that's in a, lot of cases. a lot quicker you don't have to actually physically look at what look, okay, now I've got to grab hold of the bolt knob and, and manipulate it. You just quickly sweep it up with your hand. Now, if in that regard, you know, it depends on the action, of course, but on actions where there's not a lot there to grab hold of, certainly beneficial, but I think it's more of a mechanical thing and personal. I mean, if you're trying to shoot quickly, I think it's probably a, a pretty good benefit there. 
Yeah, now, Nick, on a, you own a few rifles. Have you gravitated towards any particular trigger type that you prefer? Or um, I have. I've tried a lot. I've tried the serrated front, flat blade fronts, whether it be um, an actual straight trigger or curved. Um, out of all the different ones I've tried, um, I'm starting to rock the two-stage at the moment just because it's something different for me. Yep. I'm not quite as happy with them, but I tend to find at the moment Timneys I'm working really well with. They yep. seem to agree with me. And the adjustability range on them is very, very high. They've mm. got a very good range of what you can adjust them to. Um, but the standard model, for if anybody knows their range, the Model 510, which basically feels like a Remington trigger shoe, it's, it's very mm. similar. Mm. But I've tried all the, the, the flats, the straights, and um, you know, serrateds and knots, um, and even some of the other ones. The, one of the Target ones has actually got a round knurled stick that's put on there. Oh, um, okay. I haven't seen those. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. wasn't a Tim. That was the Jewel ones, I think it is. No, no. Tim, we do, yeah, uh, the, do was, one. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I tried one of those for about two months, and I just I, I couldn't work it properly. Just for some reason, it didn't feel right. I felt like I was actually pulling the trigger to the side. I just couldn't get my fingers set right. Um, but, yeah, it's... It, I guess it is, as you said, a unique thing, but a lot of guys have actually been recently asking about very small ones, um, and I don't know why. Um, my theory was that if it's a really wide trigger, um, they're... It's they when they get their whole pad on the finger, they can't get the sensation as good. But if it's a thinner blade, it puts more pressure. In one point, even though it still might be a you know a one pound trigger because it's a narrower point, it feels a bit more definite in their finger. As if it's nice and wide, spread out, and there's different load bearing. That's how it was explained to me, and I can understand it. But I I don't have enough experience to sort of confirm that. But at the moment, I'm just running the standard width. It seems to work. Just one one thing I just thought of. You got to think of the ergonomics of it all too. Like. Um, Rather than thinking about the gun, think of the shooter. There's some guys with really big hands out there and some with real small hands. And there might be a pattern of the guys with bigger hands are wanting a, a wider trigger to hold on to. That's oh, true. It's true. Um, I guess, yeah, in some aspects, if anyone who knows me will actually know that I cut my trigger finger off years ago and my, my trigger finger doesn't actually work and it's actually got stitches in it right now. Um, so because of that, actually, a lot of my shooting's actually left-handed. So that's maybe why I can't agree with some triggers. In the I right did hand. not pick that, mate. You didn't? I did not. All I know, remember about you, is you're just running behind me and you're catching, you're catching all the dirt as I'm picking <laughs> you, it up. That's yeah, all I know about, you did well. That's all I know about you, buddy. <laughs> well, the left-handed bit's probably a fair bit of the, the handicap you're facing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think we all need to be just taken out and drowned, and just, just given a big white hat with a big D on it and just left alone. I've never so. heard anyone admit it. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. I still actually shoot competition left-handed um, with uh, pistols, and I'm still top in the club at the moment, so I'm doing half decently. So. How did you find changing over? Um, I'm that? left eye dominant, and I did my finger. I cut my finger off when I was 16 years old, right. so most of my, just about all of my shooting career. Yeah, okay. And it actually came from the military, so being left-handed in the military, I was yep. one of the unique guys that actually sort of worked for me in some aspects. Yep, yep, cool. Anyway, thanks for the question, guys. Yeah, oh, cheers. Guys, thanks for coming along. Uh, I think we go back to, uh, to getting to the front of the bar again. Uh, that was really good. Thanks for all your input, Dan. For, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks. No, easy done. And, uh, and I'll, I'm going to go back and uh, actually listen to what you guys spoke about because <laughs> I haven't heard it yet. So, uh, excellent. Guys, thanks uh, heaps for listening. And um, hopefully this has been enjoyable and answered a few questions that you might be asking. Um, we're always happy to take questions. So flick them through on email or website or anything like that. And... Um, uh, we look forward to hearing from you and what do we have to do we'll be back in a couple of weeks probably with uh, another episode of something oh the Flinders one yeah we've got to follow up on yeah, Flinders we'll, yeah. we'll have another chat about some stuff I'm waiting to see what's edited out of that most of your bits most of it <laughs> <laughs> alright very good alright guys thanks for listening and uh, thanks boys for uh, doing this catch Cheers, you later no worries thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast 
To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile.